North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Crispin here. Uh, we're coming up on the last couple of the last message of my sabbatical. Um, a guest, North Shore Vineyard's own Nick Dilberto. Uh, me and Nick go way back. We both served on staff at the New Orleans Vineyard for many years, where he was the children's pastor, uh, and. Now he develops curriculum for churches all around the United States, and uh, really glad to have Nick as a part of the church, and so let's head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, Nick Diliberto. Thanks for listening. Nick up. Good morning. All right, I was told to make sure that I keep the microphone close to me, so if you could help me out, if my arm goes down and you can't hear me, everybody just do this. You know, that way I'll make sure to remember because I'm a little bit ADD and I'm all over the place. So, how's everyone doing this morning? Good? Okay, great. Well, look, I'm really excited about being here and I am really excited in particularly about the message that I'm going to be talking to you about because really about eight months ago or so, I had the desire to experience a deeper meaning of some of Jesus' teachings And I was just in the point in my life where I wanted to go a little bit deeper than I had in the past, in recent years. So what I did is I bought a book called The Book of John by Everyone, and it was written by N.T. Wright. And it's kind of like a commentary, but it's not very academic. It's very practical. And I started to really dive into a book that I was familiar about, but I wanted just to have a different experience of it, so I did. And when I started to do that, it was one chain in, or or I would say one event that I experienced in a series of events that started the best way I could call it, it would be like a spiritual awakening within my heart. And there was one passage or I'd say maybe there was 10 or 12 passages, but one passage in particular that really meant something significant for me. And I took notes on it. I let it sit. I sat on it for a while. I reflected on it. And and every few weeks or so, I would go back to it. And that's the passage that I'm going to be sharing with you today. So this has been, I guess, in me for a while. And It's really cool because sometimes when I have these experiences or when I was going through the book of John, I would try to share with my wife what I was learning, and she would just get to the point where she's like, I'm tired of hearing you talk. (laughs) So you guys get to hear me talk, which is great. So I have a way, like kind of like an outlet for all of this stuff. So you may be familiar with this passage or maybe maybe not. Uh, Odds are that you probably are. 
But I hope today that it's that what we're going to do is we're going to go below the surface of the text, and I hope that this morning we'll go through a journey together where, where we'll explore, I guess, below the surface of our normal everyday lives. So it's John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, and it's actually on your outline, or you can you know, pick it up on your own, your own device or Bible, but I'm going to go ahead and read this. And this will be our passage to focus on. On the last day of the festival, the great final celebration, Jesus stood up and shouted out, If anybody's thirsty, they should come to me and have a drink. Anyone who believes in me and anyone who believes in me will have rivers of living water flowing out of their heart, just like the Bible says. He said this about the Spirit, which people who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit wasn't available yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what I want to do is really break that text down. And if you notice the very beginning of that passage, it says, on the last day of the festival, on the last day of the festival, you might think, okay, well, what festival was he at the last day of. So I want to give you a little bit of history on that. It was actually the Jewish festival of tabernacles. And in the time of Jesus, it was one of the three great annual pilgrimages. Uh, it was a big feast where you would basically, it would be like an eight-day celebration where you would eat, you would party, you would dance, and you would do all sorts of awesome things. Now, it was it was also a pilgrimage, so you would have, you know, thousands of people from all over the area coming to Jerusalem, okay? The closest thing we have to that is Mardi Gras, but I don't think it was quite like Mardi Gras. <laughs> but the point was, it, the, the point was to celebrate the, the time in, in the Jewish history where, you know, their ancestors wandered in the wilderness for a period of years. You know, they were freed from the being a slave in Egypt, and there was a period of time before they actually entered the promised land. So it, there was this time of them traveling and being, and they had no permanent home. They basically lived in tents. And instead of the temple being built, it was a tabernacle, which means it was basically, you know, uh, something that they can move around. So... So there's this element of remembering that time in, in their history, but also it was a symbol of a great national hope that the Jewish people in Jesus' time had. And it was the hope for the coming of the Messiah, for him to one day come, and from their liberation from Rome, because these people are sort of oppressed by, by, by the Roman government. And it was also an agricultural celebration, okay? And it was, it was positioned right at the climax of the harvest season. So, you know, look, most of us don't work with our hands and the earth, and most of us aren't farmers. But, you know, back then in Jesus' day, there were, it was a very agricultural society where people depended on, on whatever the land would bring in order for their very survival. And today we can just go to Whole Foods or Rouse's and, you know, 
eat ribs and whatever we want to eat. You know, they, they didn't have that. So they're very dependent on whatever came up from the ground. And they would have lavish celebrations, including the lighting of lamps, dancing by torchlights. Uh, there would be a march of priests and people around the altar carrying citrus fruit and, and waving palm branches. And then what would happen, there would be the climax of this festival at the, on the eighth day, pretty much at the end of the festival. And what happened is the priests would pour out water and wine around the altar, and they would say various prayers. And among those prayers, basically, there were two themes in those prayers. And at this moment, when Jesus comes up to speak, he's actually speaking directly to those two things. Okay, so Jesus has a big audience. It's the climax of the festival. And just at the right moment, he comes up and talks about both of those things. Now, the people in Jesus' time would have been familiar with these concepts, but Jesus puts a totally different spin on it. So we're going to look at those two things that Jesus talked about today. And the first thing is water. And he says right here, if, and this is Jesus speaking, if anybody's thirsty, they should come to me and have a drink. If anybody's thirsty, come to me and have a drink. So we have to think and remember that this is the Middle East, okay? It's a mostly desert climate, okay? And the best that it's like that we can relate to would be summer here in the New Orleans area because, like, I don't know about you, but I'm so ready for summer to be done and fall to come. Literally, you walk outside and your face melts off before you even get in the car. Okay? <laughs> My son, I just, I just took him yesterday, and, and it was actually kind of a cooler day. And I took it, it was overcast, it was around 6 or 7, and I took him to the skate park where there's a, skate, a skate, uh, skateboarding park in Pelican Park. And I left him there for, usually he would go for like an hour and a half, two hours. And he called me like 30, 45 minutes into it. He's like, I'm just not feeling it, come pick me up. I picked him up. He said, Dad, I don't understand. My knees are sweating. He's like, my knees never sweat, but they're actually just pouring out water. It's really strange. <laughs> so it's a hot climate, okay? And these people are dependent on, on, on water. I mean, like water is a really important component to their everyday lives. And it's important that each town or tribe in this area has a good water source, right? I mean, they need, they need either this, they need water from a stream or a spring or a river, and it's vital to their everyday life. And if they don't have it, then things aren't going to go very well for them. So when Jesus talks about this concept of water, it's something that these people are very familiar with, and they can relate to it immediately. But also, Jesus' words about water was sort of an echo of a passage in the book of Isaiah that, that people would have been very, very familiar with because of the way that he says that it relates to this passage. And this passage right here is one of the great evangelical invitations in the entire New Testament, or excuse me, the entire Old Testament. So it's something that they would have just, it, they, it would have sound very similar to that. And I'll read that to you, Isaiah 55.1. The Lord says, all who are thirsty, come and drink. Those of you who do not have money, come 
buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I don't know about you, but free wine, awesome. <laughs> and free milk doesn't really interest me as much, but I really like cheese, and closely associated with milk is cheese. So free wine and cheese, sign me up. That would put a Quistapace out of business like that, right? <laughs> so here's the thing. He's making a profound point that we're going to dive into in just a second, but I'm setting you up for it because... Let's look at some other things, too, that are going on here. Just a few chapters back in the book of John, just like four, three chapters ago, Jesus has a conversation with a woman at the well. And he says these words, John 4, 14. But anyone who drinks the water I'll give them won't ever be thirsty again. No, the water that I'll give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that was just a few, few chapters ago. So the, the writer, John, is actually, is actually positioning that verse. And then all of the, th then there's more reference to Jesus being water and him being bread leading up to this point. So the author, John, is really trying to make a point, And he's trying to highlight Jesus's point as something of being very important. Okay, he's hoping that the readers will go below the surface. So let's put all this together, okay? Water is important. So it's, I think it's important it's in, for us to get what he's saying. It's important that we, we really get a picture of how he's saying it. So let's put all the pieces together that I just talked about. Water, it's, everyone has a personal need for water. Jesus has a huge audience. It's an eight-day festival. They've been partying for eight days. It's the climax of... Of the, uh, of the ceremony, and at the very moment that the priests are pour pouring out water and wine over the altar, they're saying a prayer related to rain for their crops. It's an agricultural festival. All these things are happening, and basically it was like the perfect moment for Jesus to come up and say this. It was almost as if Jesus wanted his listeners to pay attention. Because what he was about to say had depth, it had meaning, it had weight, it had purpose. He wanted his audience to get it. He wanted to grab their attention. He didn't want them to take his words lightly because it was a profound truth. So what was it that Jesus was saying, and what does that mean for us? Jesus' message, it was a new idea. It was a new concept. It was, it was something that went below, like below the surface of religion, rituals, and rules, which is something that the Jewish people um, pretty much, that was all what their spirituality was all about. And his point was the Spirit of God satisfies the deep thirst our souls have for something more. Jesus was pointing us to God. He was pointing, I mean, he was God, but he was pointing us to the Spirit of God, saying, the very thing that you crave deep within your heart can only be met through God. See, like water gives life to our body, the Spirit gives life to our soul, to the very core of who we are. And this life that we have through God 
is a never-ending supply. It's like, a, you know, water from a spring. It just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming because we need it so much. See, when, when we engage and interact with the Spirit, something deep within our heart is satisfied. When you pursue God, you become whole. So much of our faith sometimes is superficial. And so many times we might have doubts, we might have questions, we might have hurt, we might have fear. We have all these things that come up about the church or about God or about the Bible. And all that's great to wrestle with, but at the heart of it, Jesus is saying, I want you just as you are, just as you are, come to me. Just come to me with all of your doubt, with all of your fears, with all of your hurts, with all of your questions, even with all of your religion. (laughs) Just come to me because the deepest part of who you are and what you need, I have to offer you. It goes below the surface of our everyday lives. You know, if you, if you, and, the, the, the whole iceberg analogy has been used for so many different illustrations and points, but I think it really applies here. If you can picture an iceberg, and the tip of the iceberg is massive and it's huge, and you look at it from the boat, which I've never seen one. I've just seen pictures of them because I live in Louisiana. <laughs> and you're, like, amazed. But the amount of depth that's underneath it is, is everything. It's, we don't see it. It's below the surface, but it's really most of the iceberg. And most of us, I think, myself included, 99.99% of the time, we live on the surface. I mean, honestly, we have needs. Like, we got to eat. We got to sleep. We, you know, most of us, you know, we, ha- we might have kids, and we got to take care of them. We have jobs. You know, we like to watch Netflix, Okay. I have a need to just chill and be entertained. So we have all of these needs, and then we have deeper needs like love and acceptance, you know, and these are needs that we have. And then we have even deeper needs, which is the need to connect with our creator. And it's so easy to live on the surface, and Jesus is challenging us and saying, hey, deep within your heart can only be filled by me. And based on personal experience, I believe this is, a, this is an ongoing experience. It's a lifelong journey. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. And we're going to look to other things to fill that need. And welcome to being a human because that's how it goes. <laughs> that's just how it goes. It's a part of the process. So thing number two that Jesus was saying was this idea of new life. Anyone who believes, and this is to go back to Jesus, anyone who believes in me will have rivers of living water flowing out of their heart, just like the Bible says. Okay, (laughs) so here's the thing. In my head, I have these conversations with myself, and sometimes out loud, I have these conversations with myself. Am I the only one that talks out loud to themselves? Does anybody else do that? Okay, there's other people, thank God. Okay, because, like, 
I'll be in the kitchen and I'll be like thinking, and then I think I'm thinking, but I'm actually talking out loud, and my daughter's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was out loud? I'm so sorry. She's like, I do that too. So, <laughs> so I have these conversations, hopefully, in my head. And I think that's a strange phrase, living water. Quite honestly. I mean, okay, so if we have grew up in church, we've heard it before, and we might have our ideas of what that means. But it's just a really strange phrase because I've never seen water that's alive. It just is weird, Okay. I use, that's what I've thought for all this time was that Jesus was saying that this water is alive and it's somehow related to him and it's good. So it was always a bit of a confusing phrase because Jesus talked about living water a lot. Just weird. Am I the only one that thinks that's weird? Because, okay. All right. So I did some research and literally the living water thing translated correctly just means running water. It just means, it literally means running water. And in Jesus' time, they would get running water from, from a river or a stream. As opposed, and this running water from a, from a stream or a river would be fresh and clean water. As opposed to water from a spring or a well, which was more stagnant. And of course, a spring is fresh, but, but it's just stagnant. It's just, it's there, Okay. So there's this concept of this water being fresh and, come, and just basically being running water from a source. And there's also, in, in his words, in the nuances of his words, it's also the idea that this fresh water is life-giving. Not that the water's alive, because that's just weird, right? But that there's... This water is bringing life. Bringing life to what? Well, that this water is bringing life to everything that it comes in contact with. The fish, the creatures in the water. It brings life to the trees and the plants, which then brings life to the fruit that's around the body of water. So that's what it's all about. And Jesus makes a connection with all of that in his words. And then... By his very words, he actually says something that we probably wouldn't really get what he's saying here. But Jesus' audience back in the day would probably have made that connection. Because he says this, rivers of living water flowing out of their heart. Flowing out of their heart. They would have made a connection. And then, just like the Bible says, what? Well, where does the Bible say that? Well, we're not 100% sure, but it's most likely Ezekiel 47, which is a whole chapter. And I'm going to just kind of give you a summary of all this. So this would have been familiar to them. And in Ezekiel 47, uh, verses 1 to 7, Ezekiel was describing a man showing him the temple, which was an important symbolic thing for sure, because it was God's presence. And then there was, there was this, this river of water flowing out of the temple. And as, as he moved, as Ezekiel in this vision, moved along this water, guided by this man, the water got deeper and deeper and deeper. And then in Ezekiel 8, 47, 8 to 12, I'll read this to you. The man said to me, the water will flow toward the eastern areas and go down the Jordan Valley. When it enters the Dead Sea, it will become fresh. 
Everywhere the river goes, there will be many fish. It's bringing life to the fish. Wherever the water goes, the Dead Sea will become fresh. Death, fresh. And so where the river goes, there will be many living things. Fishermen, uh, fishermen will stand by the Dead Sea, spread their fishing nets, and there will be many kinds of fish in the Dead Sea, as many as in the Mediterranean Sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt, which was a very useful thing for people in Jesus' day. All kinds of fruit trees will grow on both banks of the river, and the leaves will not dry and die. The trees will have fruit every month because the water for them comes from the temple. The fruit from the trees will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. So there's this beautiful picture of, of life itself, real physical life, coming from the temple, going down the river, and bringing li- and this river bringing life to everything around it. Now, back in Jesus' time, the Jewish people would have had an idea of what that passage was talking about, and they actually believed that was going to be a literal, literal place and that, that the Messiah would one day come, and he would one day be the king of, uh, of Israel. He would, be, he would be anointed as the king, and there would be this time of, of, of prosperity and uh, this, this time of, of global peace, and people around the world would, would look at God's people and turn towards God. So most likely, I've done some research on this, I'm not 100% sure, but most likely that's what they would have been thinking. But then Jesus puts a different spin on it. And Jesus says that he is the source of this new life. And he's using something they were familiar with and saying, I bring you new life. You have access to this new life within yourself. And so what does that mean for us? I mean, it's, it's kind of like as we pursue God, our spirit comes alive. Just like, just like the fruit and all the, all the stuff that they came in contact with this river, it's like our lives within us are alive to the very presence of God. A change happens within us. God moves. He speaks. He's on the move in our lives. And then what we'll notice is there's like a transformation on the outside. We become more loving, compassionate, caring, patient, and so on, and accepting towards other people. So we experience this new life within, and then something happens on the outside of us. So we'll never be able to change ourselves on our own power. It's something that happens deep within us through the work of God in our lives. So I think all of us can look at moments in our lives in the past where we experience new life. And I know for me, starting back when I was probably around 19, I came into a relationship with God. I made 
I, uh, something awoke within me. And all the way up until maybe my mid-20s, I had this, like, just amazing experience with God and with other people. I started to pursue God more. I could feel God real in my everyday life. And, and then I eventually started to volunteer at church. And then I eventually started to take on more of a leadership role. And then, and then I, I went to seminary. And there was just this beautiful time in my life. And I eventually went into full-time ministry. And it was this beautiful time in life. And it was a season of life. And it was beautiful. And God was doing amazing and sweet and beautiful things. And when I read a passage like this, that's what I immediately go to as an example of, at least in my own mind, as an example of what new life looks like. Because I can tangibly say I was a different person. But the thing is, is I'm an idealist. It's really funny. Because um, raise your hand if you're married in here. Okay. So the thing about marriage is some, a lot, I've noticed this. It makes me feel good because I noticed that a lot of times people are married to someone completely different than them. <laughs> and that's how it works for me. It's not all the time. And then because of this, there seems to be a tension sometimes because I'm this way and she's this way. But what I found is we kind of balance each other out. So my wife tends to be a pessimist, and I tend to be uh, an idealist. But the beautiful thing is we, we like, I, she helps me get my head out of the clouds and, like, see life for what it really is. And then I, I guess I help her bring balance as well. So I'm an idealist, and I want, I want to believe that this new life thing just happens all the time and that if, if, if my life is not looking like it looked like back in my early 20s, then something's wrong. But I believe that this idea of new life really points to a bigger picture and a bigger truth. And, I mean, this is kind of going a little bit off text, but I would say that, I would say that it points to the idea of seasons in our life, right? I mean, if you think of the, the concept of seasons, it seems that in life there seems to be chunks of time and periods of time that have a certain overall theme. And what God is doing in your life in that season of life is usually pretty consistent. So you'll have a season. It might, however long it is, I don't know. And there seems to be kind of a theme that God is showing you or doing within you. And we can call that theme new life. But the thing is, it looks different in different seasons of your life. That was a season of my life. I've had a lot of others. I've had a few, not a lot. <laughs> I'm still hopefully young. I don't know. I used to think 42-year-old was old, but, um, but maybe I'm not old. Hopefully not. I don't feel old. I feel young. So, so I've gone through a few seasons of life. And I, I mean, I, just to share something with you, in the last six years for me has been a season of life after moving back from San Diego and living here on the North Shore for the last six years. I've had a season of life where I've recognized and identified a lot of pain and hurt in my life, and I've wrestled through that. In many ways, I felt like when I moved here, I was spiritually dead. <laughs> but then I've experienced a spiritual awakening. You know, I've wrestled with certain areas of my faith that I'd never wrestled with before, and I've shed a lot of my religious 
stuff. I've reinvented myself professionally, and I'm learning to embrace my faults and my imperfections. I'm learning to just be okay with that, which is a process. And I could go on and on. You know, fast forward to today, I feel like what's really happening in, in my family and in my life is I'm in a new season of life. Or I'd say we're beginning a new season of life. I have three kids. Next month, all three of them will be teenagers. <laughs> Pray for me. Sorry if I offended teenagers in here. <laughs> I was a teenager at once, and we can be difficult. Or, you know, they can be difficult. Um, but so that, that means, like, there is a, um, a new season of parenthood for, for both Jenna and I. Uh, my, my wife, who was pregnant with Joey while still going to college, you know, decided to drop out of college um, and then just be a full-time mom. And she always made the promise to herself that when the kids go to high school that she was going to go back to school. So starting, like, this month, she's going back to college, which is really amazing. And you can give her a hand. That's good, definitely. So she's really excited about that. I now have a teenager who drives, which, quite honestly, I'll say this, he's a better driver than me. And he'll call me out on things and be like, Dad, you just, you just like ran that stop sign. <laughs> so he actually teaches me some things. So we're at this new, new stage of life. And isn't that the way life works? I think it's worthwhile for us to recognize what season of life that we're currently in, to just be, pay attention to it. And, and to pay attention to what God is doing in that season. And just realize that life is a perpetual cycle of seasons. There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. There's going to be boring routine times. There's going to be, there's going to be the season of winter that's full, filled with pain, trauma, hurt, suffering, whatever. But, you know... When, when the winter season comes in your life, just know that God's still doing something. The times of my life when life just sucked, God was still doing something. I couldn't see it at the time, but he was still doing something. And sometimes death happens before new life. Look at it in winter. And, like, you know, there's death, and then there's spring. There's new life. So if we pay attention, we'll see what God's doing in and around us. It's just a matter of paying attention. It's a matter of the iceberg going below the surface and just paying attention to that kind of stuff, paying attention to what God's doing. So some questions to reflect on is what season of life are you in right now? I mean, really, what's your season of life? What is, how, would you, how would you describe it? And then what new life is God bringing forth right now in your life? So as I wrap up, I'm pretty much done, but I want to just read this whole passage to you again and then ask you a question as we leave. So on the last day of the festival, the great final celebration, Jesus stood up and shouted out, If anybody's thirsty, they should come to me and have a drink. Anyone who believes in me 
will have rivers of living water flowing out of their heart, just like the Bible says. So the question I'll leave with you this morning is what is God speaking to you right now? Is there anything that I said that resonates within you? And if so, pay attention to that. So I'd like to end in prayer, and then we'll invite the people who pray for others to come up here, and we can pray for you. Dear, dear God, we come to you, and we thank you for uh, you being an awesome God. We thank you that you're a God who, you know, that does stuff in our lives. And I just pray that you would give us eyes to see you more clearly and ears to hear you and just that we would, we would just see what you're doing in our lives, whatever it is that we're going through, whether it's good or bad times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So thank you. Thank you. If you have prayer for anything, please come on up, and we'll have a prayer team come up and pray for you. So thanks again, and uh, enjoy your Sunday.